Yeah, talking about liquidiv.com, promo code Nooners at checkouts. You see us drinking it on the show every single day. Where would we be, Japes, without Liquid IV in our lives? Dehydrated, we'd have headaches, we'd be tired, yeah. exhausted. Yep. Not be able to get through the day, get through work. We'd be sick all the time. I'd be hungover. <laughs> Every single day. Love the liquid IV. Liquid IV hydrates you with benefits like electrolytes, essential vitamins, and clinically tested nutrients with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drinks out there, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick. It's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. It's just a little tiny stick full of powder. Pop it in 16 ounces of water. You're good to go. What's your reckon, Jabes? Double or triple hydrated? I would say double. I'd say triple. What? Nay. I'll say triple today. Huge fan of Liquid IV. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration. With Liquid IV, get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code Nooners at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop better hydration today using promo code Nooners at liquidiv.com. Yeah! Talking about expressvpn.com slash Nooners. Love ExpressVPN. You've got to have a VPN in today's world or you're not living your life right, brother. People are going to start stealing your passwords, all your bank info, everything. And I know most of you are probably thinking, uh, why don't you just use incognito mode? Let me tell you something. Incognito mode doesn't hide your activity. Doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why when I'm at home, I never go online without using Express VPN. Huge fan. I've had it for years. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background uh, of all my computers and my laptops and my phones, and it's super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, like I was saying, phones, computers, uh, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it right now. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Mashable. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash nooners, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash nooners. Expressvpn.com slash nooners. Head there to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ross Patterson Revolution! 
Welcome to the special, it's a special crossover, uh, Drinking Bros Podcast, Ross Patterson Revolution. We, we've got a really special guest here. Um, we've really? got, we've got, yeah. Is he I, coming? Is he going to be in here? He'll, he'll be here, I, I would say in an hour. Grimace? Um, no, actually, it's, uh, it's, it's JonBenet Ramsey. Um, she's alive. Yep. Wow. She's alive wow. and she's coming back. No one knows this. This is a breaking news story tonight. John B- JBR is coming back. So, so is, is JBR, was she still, was she with Tupac still or had she? No, they'd broken up. Okay. That was a, that was a thing. They'd gotten into a tiff. I didn't um, know because I knew that there was a whole thing with the Biggie thing back in the day. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was yeah. like a three little triangle of of, uh, of sadness. Choose but. choose sides. Or the sides choose you. That's what my grandfather says. Um, whenever we get barbecue, he says that. <laughs> choose sides, or the sides will choose you. They're just going to give you okra. Because um, nobody's you, nobody's ordering okra. Nobody wants okra. Um, Slimy. We we have Lethal Weapon star Clayne Crawford, who's never who's never done anything else. No, no not one. <laughs> well, here's what's amazing about that is they found me in a cornfield in Alabama, and I was barefoot at the time. And they were just like, "Look, this is it. We found the guy." This it's so. one of those Hollywood dream stories come true. It really was. Of oh, oh my gosh, uh, that, we were just driving by in Alabama, and we saw this barefooted kid in a cornfield. Um, you had a rake in your hand. I did have a, well, it. It, it was a it was a, a sling blade, is what it was. And then I had I had the overalls with just one strap over and them rolled up. And <laughs> you know, I bought a lottery ticket, Ross. And, yeah. Uh, and my numbers came in. <laughs> you know, it was quick. It was easy, and uh, I'm just enjoying being on top. Overnight, overnight success. That's what they like to call it. Yeah. 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 I, I, it was five minute success, really. Yeah. Uh, it's by, by the way, we're we're gonna dip into that tonight because it it is absolutely crazy that people think that. I had my dentist. I was back in Alabama. My dentist. He said, as he's cleaning my teeth, he's like, you know what? I've always thought about just going out there and getting like a commercial agent. You know what I mean? Yeah, just yeah, like before yeah. I get too old, oh, I'm like, oh, well, you know, they hand out jobs, like commercials <laughs> at LAX. So when you get there, just make sure you go to the right line because you don't want to get like a TV job just, to, you know, you don't want to jump into the uh, guest starring or reoccurring world. Yeah, you yeah, you definitely. Commercial, you boom, know. you're on CSI. And that's that's uh, that's that's the way it works. In Hollywood, it is. I get, in, I don't know if you get this all the time, messages from people who are just like, hey, man, thinking about a career change. Um, and they're like 40. And you're like, uh, man, I'd really like to do what you do. Oh, you, oh, you would. <laughs> Again, my dentist hopped right in. <laughs> yeah, I, we were. I was changing a carburetor on an old truck that I bought. I was at home for like two months on a little hiatus. And as he's underneath my truck, he's like, I mean, I've got family out there. You know, they're down in Orange County. Yeah. And I mean, my wife and I have thought we could both give it a shot. And I mean, what if we, I mean, hell, what if we both start making money? You know, like, I'm, I might not ever work on the car again. I'm like, fuck, dude, just go for it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just, just come on out there and live the dream. Because there's nobody else is doing it. No, no. I, I, well, there's, I've only seen maybe 10 or ten or 12 actors. Out here. Yeah, yeah. And it's just not a, <clears throat> I think, you know, it's not an overpopulated city. <laughs> so, you know, it's you're welcome to come on out and give it a shot. It's free. You can walk everywhere, too, and a lot of people don't know they that. They don't know that. That public transportation is incredible, and you just don't need a car when you're here. So. Um, if right now, wherever you're listening, if, if it's, like, let's say an iPhone, if it's dripping with sarcasm all over your vehicle as you're, as you're making your commute to work, um, I, I hope that you can sense it because everything we said is is completely not true about this city. Um, but we're going to dive into uh, to, to Clayne's uh, unbelievable 
career, and uh, there's going to be a ton of projects you probably don't know about, because um, it, shockingly enough, was not just Lethal Weapon before all this started. And uh, But as you know, we've got some sponsors who pay for this whole shit to be on the air. Uh, first and foremost is StrikeForceEnergy.com. It is the tastiest, tiniest little tin pouch of energy. You just rip it open. It goes in any single liquid. It's not a powder. Um, you don't have to stir it with your finger. Uh, boom. Just goes in beers, waters, Kool-Aids, liquors, liqueurs. Uh, you name it, you can kick the can, kids. You don't need Monster, you don't need Red Bull, any of that shit. You can keister, you can throw it out the window. StrikeForceEnergy.com has got the hookup on all your energy drink needs. They ship everywhere in the entire world. And they have a subscription of the Month Club, which which we all have. And it's just goddamn delightful. They've got new flavors, including grape. Make America grape again. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com. Type in the promo code REVOLUTION for 20 percent off. Again, that's strikeforceenergy.com. Type in the promo code REVOLUTION for 20% off. Uh, next up, we've got ghostbed.com. Yeah. Uh, sleep so good it's scary. That's not their tagline, but it should be. Should be. Should be. <laughs> should be. If you've never slept on a ghost bed mattress claim, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you it's the best <laughs> sleep of your life. You're gonna feel rejuvenated again. Like a young John Bear. <laughs> I'm going to keep hammering that home. Poor Jaminet. Um, oh, no, you're going to you're going to sleep like a like a like a young JBR again. Uh ghostbed.com/drinkingbros is where you need to go for $50 off. Um, they've also got three free pillows with your purchase, which is nice. The pillows have got like this aloe scent in them and they're they're form fitting to your dome. Hmm. Um Rumor has it that that was the only pillow that Andre the Giant would sleep on when he was still alive. He had a huge head. He had a really fucking huge head. Um, and uh, they, you know, fun fact, they said if, if when Abraham Lincoln got shot, if they'd put him on one of these pillows, he might have lived. Might have lived. Wow. Yeah. It is. Yeah. But, you know, we hindsight is, is 150 years, 150 years. So um, he's not coming back. Uh, go to ghostbed.com. By the way, the sponsors love it when I talk like this. Every time they love, like, hey, man, we just heard your show and you were comparing, like, laying a dead Abraham Lincoln on our bed. And I was like, well. You're welcome. You're welcome for that. Yeah. You're welcome for that. Because yeah. um, when you sleep on that bed and you wake up and there's just a pile of pennies, you know the big Abe was there. Um, the honest one was there. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Um, get yourself a bed. They got a pay-as-you-go plan. Next up, we got straightrazors.com. Uh, straight razors. A lot of people ask, Ross, how do you how do you look so goddamn young? How do you do it? How do you keep your face so baby, baby face smooth every goddamn second of the week? I gotta tell you, it's straight it's straightrazors.com. There's nothing else in this world. Um, because the alcohol and the drugs, they've taken it. So I, I don't understand it. So the razors must be the only. Now, thing straight razor is it actually a like a cowboy straight razor? Old school, like Tombstone. Wow. So you go there and it's like a fucking classy kit from like the the late 1800s. They give you the belt, uh, the aftershave, the smolder aftershave is the one that burns and gets inside the pores. Mm-hmm. It takes about a day and a half. You know off, it's working then off your shaving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When you when I get out of shower and it stings a little, like it's a good ten minutes on that drive um, to wherever I'm going, whatever strip club I'm going to. Start the morning off. Yeah, and I feel that sting where I'm like, oh shit. Uh, they got the number one ranked aftershave, number one ranked cologne in the world, and uh, they've got mustache waxes. You get a mustache. I do have a mustache. I'll have one again and 
uh, November. Every November, I grow my mustache out. You can borrow mine if you want. Well, I can't. I can't take it from the one I grow is real healthy these days. It is healthy. It's like a whisk broom. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice, yeah. and it's natural too. It's all yeah. natural. All natural. Um, <laughs> as opposed to, as opposed to uh, one of the the glue ons, you know. It's fair. Some days I wake up and I throw a glue on on, you know, and I just I roll out um, to just to feel alive again. Well, it's, but people know. <laughs> start the day right and let everybody know. Hey, it's Tuesday, and there's a little <laughs> bit of a stash on. <laughs> Go to straightrazors.com, type in the promo code REVOLUTION for 20% off. Support the show. Go to straightrazors.com, type in the promo code REVOLUTION for 20% off. Big fan of those guys. Um, uh, we got warfightertobacco.com. Uh, if you don't got them, go get them and smoke them, kids. Uh, warfightertobacco.com. Premium cigars uh, made with Cuban seeds, hand-rolled in Dominican Republic, um, and then shipped straight to your fucking mouth. They're 100% combat veteran-owned. Uh, if you're celebrating, if you knock somebody up, if you forgot to pull out this weekend, go to warfightertobacco.com. Get yourself some cigars. Type in the promo code Drinking Bros for 10% off. Last but not least is blackriflecoffee.com. I don't even need to say it. Their coffee uh, will, will lift you to that level. They'll raise you up so you can feel on your own. Uh, Black Rifle Coffee is, uh, shit, they're veteran owned as well. Go, go and grab yourself some some sacks. Type in the promo code Drinking Bros for twenty percent off of the best coffee in the land. They have a subscription of the Month Club as well. Again, we are joined by Mister Clayne Crawford uh, from Lethal Weapon. Thanks for being here, buddy. Buddy, I listen. Uh, I am grateful, and the fact just watching you rattle that off uh, just then is impressive. Crazy, crazy. Uh, I've done over yeah. three hundred episodes now. Yeah, I can't believe it. So you so that's just you that's why you have that down. This is Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I like when I wake up and shave in the morning, mm-hmm. I'm literally just saying that to myself in the morning of like, man, Ross, congratulations, Ross, you're using straightrazors.com. So how I visualize what a newscaster does in the morning getting ready. Yeah. yeah. Good morning, we're dead on the highway. So that's just you as you get ready in the morning, getting going through your morning. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh those newscasters, by the way, are filthy. They're filthy they people. Filthy. Dude, I did, I just did a round of interviews for uh, this last movie that came out, premiered in June or July. And you go into these local stations, and they've got just racks of suits and clothes. And, like, the, the, dude, the guy who was the, the anchor for the, the, the show, the last show that I did, the pants maybe went up to his calf. Uh, but they had a real wide belt, so he was belting in. He had to do his own makeup. He just looked pissed off at the world. And then as soon as that camera was on, he was like, there's a water crisis going hold on. Hold on, hold on. So you're telling me that they have what you would see like in a children's playroom. Yes. Dressing. So, and yep. they can all just interchange and yep. throw things And they, the, like, the, wow. the suits stink. They stink. And well, everybody said, everybody said Charlie Rose has the stinkiest suits. He looks stinky. I know. He looks I know. He, he, his hygiene is on such a low level. It's crazy, right? It is crazy. And you wonder if it's the alcohol? I don't I don't know. Does like, he drink still? I, yeah, yeah, because I heard every, like, I've known a few guests who've gone on there, and they were like, man, you can just smell it on his breath, and, and uh, you're getting through the show. But look, Charlie Rose has been doing it for 40 years at that point. I'm sure he's just fucking over it. He's like, I've forgotten more about fucking talk radio than you bastards will ever know. No, I know. I know. He did a... God, who... He did a big, huge interview the other night with Steve Bannon on, on 60 Minutes. Isn't he on Today's Show now? 
he might be. He's on something weird. Yeah. It's like a day job. That's why I was wondering if he was able to maintain. Yeah, well, he he did. He was doing sixty minutes um, Sunday night, and I think it was just because it was Steve Bannon. But uh, he popped in, and uh, I that one he looked sober for because he had to be on his toes against against Steve Bannon. He's a legend, man. <clears throat> legend. Rose, I mean, come on, man. He can. He, he's interviewed the best, hasn't he? And he's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, if he has a few drinks here and there, who gives a fuck? God bless him. Um, you know, Harry Carey, Cosell, all those guys were drinking in the booth. <laughs> yeah, it was a different time, wasn't it? the way it should be. It's a different time. It's the time we should live in. Before we had phone cameras on our cell phones, right? Now it's a time full of pussies. It's just... It is. It's, a, lot, a lot of political correctness. Sucks. Yeah. It sucks. Like, you should be sobriety. able to fucking drink in the booth. Drink in your car. You know, a lot of, like a roadies back in the day. Actually drinking and driving, not drinking then driving. Just yeah. like, I'm driving and having a cocktail. Having a drink. And like, I remember, for, like as a kid, and I don't know, you, you, you might have the same story. I remember like getting in parents' cars, like other friends' cars, and they were just, just one for the road, like on a T-ball Road thing. suds. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, cigarette with the window half cracked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like an inch cracked. Just to let the smoke out. That's it. Know? Yeah. My father actually tried that not long ago, where I, my kids get in the car, and my dad pulls out a cigarette and starts to roll the window down. And my mother said, what the hell are you doing? He's like... <laughs> What, Lenny? The daggum window's down. Yeah. There's yeah. chill. Not no concept. No, doesn't okay. matter. Anymore. You smoke a cigarette in a park in L.A. and people are gonna tackle you. Oh, it, I mean, it, ev- everywhere, pretty much. Like New York, I, I spent so, a lot yeah. of time in New York. New York, like I don't, I don't see that many people smoking. If if so, they're huddled in the alley, like by a trash can, and it's <laughs> it's like they're shamed now. Yes. Where they have like a shame smoking circle, where you're just like, oh Jesus Christ. Um, that's like I feel bad for you that you smoke. Uh, yes, different to, time, different time. Then you go to Europe, and everybody just got a cigarette hanging out of their mouth. Oh, uh, Japan, uh, every, anywhere else, a, a, Asia. They're if you don't smoke, you're, you're a shunned. Fu- they make you. They make you stand by the trash can. Like, hey, stand by the fucking trash over can. There. I'm smoking. Hey, Yen, get your ass over there. Yeah, I am smoking. You're gonna here. be healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. Um, I like to like to dip into uh, to your life today. Okay, really uh, dip a toe in. Where are you from? Uh, well, I was born in the great state of Alabama, uh, in a little town called Clay, and uh, that's where I currently live. With what's, my... what's, the, what's the population there? I would say I don't know what the population. The population when I left was like. I don't know, 1,500 people. Um, wow. Now, yeah. Now it's it's grown because there's a high school in the town. You know, we used to have to travel about 20 minutes outside to get, well, not 20, about 15 minutes to get to my high school. Um, so now there's a high school there. And, yeah, the population's probably five times what it was when I left in 96 to come out here. Um, but as I said, my family and I have moved back and bought a little farm recently, so... Yeah, man. What's uh, sports? Did you play any sports growing up? I did. Yeah, I mean, look, that's all we had, right? It was, you know, you, you at birth you have to choose Alabama or Auburn, right? Yep. And then uh, your who dad. Cho- who chose that for you? My father. Yeah. You know, we had my wife and I were having a joke the other day. I, I bought a pair of orange sneakers, and uh, she goes, "I don't think I've ever seen you wear orange." I'm like, "Well, because my father shunned me." Yeah. Walking through the house. Yeah. Like, what are you, a Tennessee Volunteer fan? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or are you, are you, are you an Auburn fan now? Yep. Is that it, Clint? Because why don't you go? Why don't you go live with your uncle? If that's, if, that, if that's how you want to live your life. Exactly. So, so my parents were Ohio State. Right. And, uh, yeah, anything blue or, or anything, they were oh, like... maize and gold was not allowed no. anywhere near your home. No. It? So you, you knew growing up, and you kind of felt like that decision was made for you. It's either that or you go against your father. Like, 
because um, this, this is my stepdad. My real dad was like diehard like Indians fan and like Browns fan, and like right. sometimes you'll go against parents to be like, dude, I don't, I don't like you. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I never subscribed to the Indians or Browns. I was like, no, I can't do it. Just That's really it. tough to to be a Browns or a Cleveland fan. If I would have grown up like that. That's depressing. Um, it would have been the worst. Like I don't. Even, I probably would have killed myself about You'd ten be years in ago. In a factory now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The confidence level. Uh, just listening to Springsteen. My home. <laughs> just cutting all the sleeves off your t-shirts and just yep. like, fuck it. Just wearing a bandana to work every day. <laughs> and as a result of that upbringing, I think I crushed um, any my creativity. You know, I I, I think orange was a color that I could have really spread my wings with and. Uh, so now in my old age, I'm, uh, you know, old age of 39, I'm trying to really find who I am as a as an individual. As a without, person, with, yeah. Yeah, without my father kind of breathing down my neck. And orange, Ross, I think I'm just going to start wearing jumpsuits, like prison jumpsuits. You should. You should, just you out, out in public. and Yeah, just and little slippers. and Letting go. Just letting like, yourself go. I'm glowing, and I feel good about myself. <laughs> so, did you uh, did you study drama or anything? <laughs> no. Look, you know, in Alabama, you've got to play sports, right? So you're given a baseball bat, you know, at, at, at three in a, in a mitt. And uh, look, I wrestled and I played football, and um, I knew I wanted to be an act. I, I I loved watching films, like you know, but we all did, right? Um, yeah, and that's that's the fascinating thing. So everybody I've talked to, everybody's got the same answer of, oh, man, I love watching films. I love Everybody does. Um, but it takes that special person to say, you know what, I'm going to pack up all my shit and move to L.A. and actually give it a go. I don't know if it takes that. You know what it takes? It takes that special person in your life. <clears throat> because at that age, I don't think you have the wherewithal to understand really what your path is. But it's it's having someone in your life who, who tells you to trust your gut, trust your heart, and to kind of chase that dream, you know, because I think a lot of times we have people in our lives that want you to take the easy path because they love you. They want you to go to college, get that job. Sure. Um, and I had a, I had a teacher in speech and debate, and she... <clears throat> what was her name? Simona Herring, and um, she was the best teacher I've ever had. Um, her and Elaine Fikes, uh, they, they really kind of saved me because I was, I was somewhat of a bad kid in school. And and we were doing this speech and debate, and uh, and I was doing it for a credit. I had to take it, and, and, she, and she goes, look, we're going to do an improv class today. And I didn't know what the hell that was. And she goes, "It's because if you don't believe in what you're debating, <clears throat> regardless if it's if your if your heart believes it, you've got to go in and you've got to prepare as if you believe in this topic, whether you believe in abortion or not. You know, if that was the if that was the topic." So she said, "We're going to do improv," and and she kind of gave us a scene, a scenario for a scene. And I got up there, and Ross, it was like fucking eating eating a cheeseburger for the first time. You're like, I need this every meal, right? And um, and I fell in love with it. And she really pu- pushed me. She goes, "There's something here, and you should go explore this in Los Angeles." And uh, there was really no outlets in Birmingham, so I started doing modeling, you know, at, like, one of those places where you have to pay them to be a model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. They yeah. come to your town. Yeah, it's on the radio, and it's yeah. like, hey. Hey, everybody, come down. Come down. You'll get a giant outlet. Are you making the bid? Yeah. So I'm like, I go down. It's like, oh, wow. So I'm going to pay you to be a model. All right. Well, shit. Let's do this. And they do the headshots, and the, oh, you do the glamour the shots. The cards. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Come on, bud, in color, and... So you know, you've got different looks. Oh, of course. You know, you've got to have the rough and bad boy look. And it's yeah. like, oh, I need a suit for this one. And it's like, <laughs> I need a playful look with a cup of coffee. And, uh, and I was doing like shitty, like bridal shows in Birmingham, you know, like runway shows. And it was just the worst. But I had this lady who I had paid her to be a part of this thing. And she pulled me to the side. And she goes, this is all shit. And her name is Sherry Graves. And she goes, this is a bunch of horse shit. Um, 
you need to pack up your things and you need to go to LA. And I know a guy that lives out there who has a, who runs a, an apartment building so he can help you get a place to live and you just need to give it a shot. She goes, it's not here. This is not what you're doing. And that's what I did. Packed up my shit and just moved down here. No shit. Lived in Koreatown and yeah, man. K-Town down. K-Town, baby. You know, Brass Monkey. Were you by down. yourself? Did you have any roommates? I had nobody. Yeah, because when I met him, because look, this was 96, right? There was We still had pagers and uh, Thomas Guides, yeah. right? And it was still scary to move to L.A., so you could find a place. I found an apartment for like 450 bucks. Oh, boy. Fucking down on, like, Gramercy and Ninth, yeah. you know? And uh, it was disgusting and terrifying. And I just started figuring it out, man. You know, getting headshots and submitting to Backstage West and just jumped in. Yeah, when 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 you got here, did anybody ask you to change your name? Well, uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Because that happened to me. Oh, dude, I got here. Well, I don't know if they asked me to change my name. It was like you got to change everything, right? You got to change the way you talk, the way you dress, the way you look, the way that yeah, so yeah, yeah. this is gonna work. Yeah. And I was like, oh shit! So I started trying to do all this and fumbling around. And then I booked a job, like being out here. For, literally, I booked a job in like four months. I booked Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a co-starring role. And I remember, I really, get, oh, so stoked. And I get it. I get the job, and 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 I get the script, and I and I flip it, and I just start flipping through the pages, and I'm like, I'm, I don't see my name anywhere. And then I, I was like, okay, we'll start from page one. Oh, because I'm just in the teaser, right? So, I, <laughs> <laughs> so the Eek and Mummy Girl sucked the life out of me wow. as the, as the fight before the credits started. Welcome to Hollywood. Yeah. And then I realized when I got, because I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I'd never acted before. So yeah. I don't even know how I got the job until I see the dummy that they'd already had made that's supposed to be the mummy had really big curly hair. I had really big curly hair, and I had just finished like a pickup gap basketball game. So I was like a fucking mess going into this audition. So they were just like, Oh, perfect. The guy's only got two lines, right? The guy's got two lines. He can do this. He looks just like the dummy. Give it to him. Give it to him. I didn't work again for three years because I had no idea. He looks just like the dummy. He looks just like the dummy. Oh, my God. And that's why they gave it. But for me, I'm like, fucking hey, are you kidding me? This we made it. Boom. This we is made it. Easy. I'm calling my mom like, yo, watch how this happens. Cut to the show airs and like half my stuff's ADR'd. That's not my lines, right? It's not me doing it. Because they didn't want to pay to have me come of in. Of course not. So it's like, you know, paging Mr. Herman. Mr. Mr. Herman. Herman. <laughs> <laughs> my buddy's all just looking at me like, that's not you. And it was, so I had the, uh, I realized what the business was all about. And then it's a fucking marathon, man. Yeah. It really is. Like, and, and the people who move out here who think it's like an overnight thing or, uh, I remember the, the dude from the OC, that Ben McKenzie. I read an article with him and he was like, I said I was going to give myself one year. And if I didn't make it, I was going home. I was like, you can't have that mindset coming out here. No. Like, you've got to be prepared for the long haul. And then uh, you kind of figure out your place as you go. But when I when I moved here, um, uh, my first manager was a guy. I was in uh, uh, Manhattan Beach, right on that boardwalk. Mm -hmm. And uh, he comes up to me and goes, oh, you, you've got a great look. You know, I could be your manager. Oh, you got discovered. Yeah, I, 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 I wow. thought I did. You're Audrey Hepburn. Thought I did. So okay. he gives me this card, and his name was Rod Segal. And I'll never forget it. And I was like... Is he related to Steven? That's what I said. So I go in I go in for this meeting. At this point, I'd send my headshots out to everybody. I got nothing for, like, weeks. Like not, I got one call back that was just like, uh, hey, man, are you really 6'3"? And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I go, oh, yeah, then you're too tall for car commercials. And he hung up. So I couldn't get an agent. A guy named Rod, Rod, Rod Segal found me. I go you into his never office. You this center that I've got out front. Okay. I know. Go into his office. The first, the first fucking uh, uh, thing I asked him was like, are, are you related to Steven Segal? And he goes, no. But people think I am. And that, that's what gets me, you know, the meetings. And I was like, wow. Okay. And like at this point, I don't have a choice. I needed somebody. 
So he was like, I can get you auditions and all that other shit. And I was like, all right, cool. But he goes, I think you should change your name. And I was like, all right, but what, what, what do you think it should, should be? And he goes, I don't know, man, Ross Patterson. Like, Patterson just sounds so basic, you know, just kind of plain, kind of Midwestern-y, you know. And, uh, and I was like, uh, he goes, you know, I'm thinking... I'm thinking Ross Vegas. Like, I can already see that in the lights. And that's what eventually I wrote it into wow. a script years later. But that's what it was. And I remember walking out of there and I was like, oh, my God. So that's where it came for 17 Split. Yeah, but I was like, where, where, like, what have I gotten myself into at this point? What was his vision for you? Pornography? No, it wasn't. So he was like, uh, oh, God, this is terrible. So he goes, <laughs> he goes, look, I'm, I'm going to get you into big shit. It's going to be commercial and it's going to be quick. And, uh, and I was like, all right. And to, to his credit, Rod Segal's credit, the first audition he got me was, uh, was, was something big and something quick. And it was uh, the Blue Power Ranger. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the Power Rangers TV show. Um, Huge at that time. Yeah, and I, and I, and I actually tested. So I, look, one away, and I could have been the fucking Blue Power Ranger, wow. and that, that would have been it. And like, uh, uh, but I got to learn about contracts and everything else, because when you test, you know, they give you that contract. So it was a positive experience working with this man. Initially, yes. Well, and at least you learned what not to have in the future, right? And I say initially, because <laughs> weeks after that, like, that, I didn't get something that big for a while. And uh, uh, I remember maybe two months later, I was at a, the, the church on uh, Highland in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. And he goes, uh, I need you to bring a pair of rolling roller skates. And I, I was like, oh, I roller skates to a church and he's like yeah yeah there's a commercial audition where you have to roller skate um and he's like uh, it's in a church it seems weird but it's totally legit and i'm like i'm roller skating inside of a church like they cleared out the pews and i was like oh man this is getting worse and then the last one where i just left was like uh it was a, like a he said they said it was a sunny d commercial i never saw it um but i'd wear a pair of gym shorts were you at a Holiday shuttle? Inn? Did you have to audition in a Holiday Inn? It was like, close. Take your shirt off? It was close. Like, I, dude, I did go in an audition in somebody's apartment once. <laughs> and he sent me there. That was before that. And, like, after that, I was like, fuck, I got to figure this out. And, uh, <laughs> There's, like, two little Loatian boys sitting in the waiting room. It's like, what am I reading for? I, this, <laughs> this is one of the craziest stories. I, I auditioned for this horror film in, a, in, a, in, a, in an apartment, like a terrible apartment. Um... In like Los Feliz, and Los Feliz back in the day wasn't wasn't nice. wasn't what it is now. No, no, no. no. <laughs> so I show up in this apartment, and this director, big like fat guy, and he, was, he talked like this. He kind of had a lift, and he goes, uh, "You just scream and like pretend you were getting killed, right? And then try to run out." So I did it. I did the audition. He's like, "Man, that's pretty good. It's pretty good." Um, but I'm not really feeling it. It's not really real yet. So I'm gonna. Ha- I want you to run into the bathroom. <laughs> I want you to run inside the bathroom. <laughs> so. I start screaming, you know. I run inside the bathroom, and inside the tub, his wife was in there, covered in blood. And she goes, ah. <laughs> I start really screaming, like really screaming at the top of my lungs. And I run out into the living room, and the director's sitting on the couch still, and he goes, That's fear. <laughs> That's what I knew. I had to get rid of Rod Segal. Not the true reaction. <laughs> You're That's welcome. What he said. In this list. God damn it. And uh, I, that's when I, I knew I had to get away from Rod Segal, but like trying God. to figure it out, like trying to get an agent who, 
That's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. I mean, look, I was doing theater up in Sun Valley, for God's sakes, and I had a director that would just come in with a case of Natty Light and sit up in the balcony and just sit and drink all night while we fucked around trying to figure this thing out. And I'm, like, taking the backstage west and trying to submit myself for things and going on which, scary auditions. By the know? way, we all did. Like, we all back, did. Back in the day, backstage west was the only way to su- submit yourself for an independent And you'd film. have to go to the 7-Eleven and buy it. Every Sunday. Every yep. fucking Sunday. Then you're getting your headshots. You're going to Kinko's. You're printing up. your And you're stapling this shit and putting yeah. them in manila envelopes. You know, what What nowadays, you know, it's just... And I think that's why the business is so saturated is because of, of reality TV and everyone thinks they can just come and be a celebrity overnight and you can fucking submit yourself with, you know, the click of a button. Yeah. And, you know, so... Back in the day, there was a line around that Kinko's on Sunsets. Uh, Are you kidding? Right across from uh, um, yeah. what used to be... Coaching Horses. It was a bar Coaching Horses, Coach horses. Which now it's called the Pikey. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah, right is next to Samuel French. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you'd get yourself with Samuel French. Yeah. It's a good little bar. It's a little too fancy. It's like Powerhouse now. Powerhouse looks like, um, like a... T- TGI Fridays. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Seriously, it's like beautiful, really? and there's like booths. It's like when we went in there, it was just meth dealers. Fighting and, and meth oh, dealers. Yeah, and yeah. I remember you and I shot a sketch in there on St. Patrick's Day, and it was 11 in the morning, <laughs> and they, they were all drinking, and uh, and I was like, oh, man, are you guys, uh, hey, are you guys here for St. Patrick's Day? And they go, oh, I don't know. We, we wouldn't even know what holiday it was. And I was like, yep, yep. No, sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry <sighs> for the inconvenience. So uh, how'd you get your first agent then? Uh, I got my, who, who was my, my first manager <clears throat> was Audrey Kahn, who was James Kahn's sister, I believe. Okay. Um, and my buddy had, a guy I'd met out here, had worked on the film A Boy Called Hate, which was Scotty Kahn's first film, and I think him and his dad did it together. <clears throat> and he said, you've got to meet Audrey. And all I had at that time was this terrible Buffy tape, which is really not me talking through most of it. And, uh, um... A, a, a piece of film that someone had, that my buddy Dick had shot with a recorder uh, of of me on stage in this terrible theater up in Sun Valley. So this is my tape, and God love her. She said, "I'll take you," and uh, she signed me. And then I signed with a little lady. My a first agent was Ruth Deverin at Film Artists Associates, I believe, which was over on Burbank. No, it was on Ventura, but way down, like, near Sepulveda. Yeah, yeah, It's like yeah. where the 405 yep. and 105, yep. so way down there. And, uh, and and she's actually the one that helped me get the Buffy. Uh, and then, I did, like I said, man, I didn't work for three years until I got a Walk to Remember. So I was just bumming around L.A. Who, did she out. get you that, uh, that that audition for Walk to Remember? No, I quit. I left her. <clears throat> she actually passed away because she was like, Eighty-five when she when she when she signed me, she was just that's what you want when you move out here is a good eighty-five-year-old agent. Well, you know what? I felt like I had a nurturing grandmother, (laughs) so it was very it was a it was like being wrapped in a warm blanket in a very cold environment. (laughs) So, but I couldn't work, and then I ended up going to like this act terrible acting. And I hate to say that, but it was just so bad. This uh, I, I won't say her name, but this class over in the valley. And she had these things where on Thursday nights, agents and managers would come in. And I know you've done these. Did that too, yeah. Yeah. So we're 19 years old, and you're in there, and you're putting up a scene, hoping somebody's going to love it. And um, I'd gotten to a point where I'd had it, and I was, you know, partying way too much and drinking. And I came on stage with, like, a hat down low and doing this whole kind of thing. And I ended up signing with this beautiful manager, uh, Joan Green Management, and this lady, Amy Slomabitz, signed me. And they were like, so your name's Joey Crawford. I was like, my name's William Joseph Crawford. You know, but uh, well, that was probably taken, right? It wasn't that it was taken. It just I felt William Joseph was so. I mean, I was a nineteen-year-old kid, so I was like, ugh. 
you know? And I was like, Joey Crawford seemed really filthy. Uh, <clears throat> Joey just didn't seem like a strong name, and that's what all my buddies would call me. So I actually came up, I changed my own name, you know? Because it's like you're working with a product. It is. It, cause right? You, but you're the fucking product. Yes, and you're branding yourself from an early age. And it's, I look at people like, and, and this is no bullshit, like I look at people like Shia, Shia LaBeouf, or that image in Poots, and you're like, yo, how did you make it with those names? Like, how did you do that? Even as a director, like, if I if I saw that name roll in, I'd be like, yeah, I guess. Like, and it's not like you're selling like you know alcohol or, or or Q-tips, right? Where you can just go in and go, oh, we can revamp this, right? Yeah. We can bring in a team and we'll like change the logo and yeah. we're gonna spruce it up, you know, which fucking Coca-Cola and Pepsi do nonstop. You can't do that with yours. It's not like I can now go, oh, well, now I'd like to be called, you know, what am I fucking Prince? Yeah, you know, I can't like change it midstream, you know. <laughs> so it's like now I'm stuck with fucking Clay and Crawford. Right, which I love, you know, because it's great. It's a well, catchy like. I, look, my ancestor who first guy who came here from Scotland was Clan Crawford, mm -hmm. and I was like, well, that's not going to fly being from Alabama. No, you know what I mean? no, <laughs> no, that, no. that would have gone over like a fart in church. So then I'm like, and I'm from a town called Clay, so I just I'm I'm at home literally in Alabama, and uh, I, I merged the two. And I was like, what if I'm Clay Crawford? It's like, it sounded like a chain hitting up against the side of a barn. Yeah, like Clay Crawford. I was like, oh fuck! I changed my name. Six months later, I booked a walk to remember. Then swim fan. Then the great. Like it was. It, yeah, because when such you a when you hear those, <clears throat> when you hear a good name, I'm, and this is no bullshit. Like in casting, you're like, fuck that person's rad. That um, person, absolutely. Bring it, bring him in. That sounds that sounds like a great name. Like fuck. And Hollywood's nothing but high school anyway, right? It, so it's, it's all perception. It. It's all. It is. It really is. I could not get into rooms. I changed my name. Got headshots, and I'm telling you, it took off until I fucked it up myself. But it immediately took off. So when you when you got to walk to remember, because uh, I auditioned for that. Um, oh, did you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you auditioned for the new guy, right? Oh, yeah. Well, we auditioned. Everybody, look, there's a group of us that auditioned for the leads of everything. Everything for And then they would just years. cast from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I it, auditioned for Shane's role when I did a walk to remember. Yeah. Right? And yeah. it was always like 15 or 20 of us towards the end. Same people every time, like Gosling, all those guys. And it was just uh, like yeah. one, somebody was getting it out of that group. But um, when you got to walk to remember... How fucking incredible was that? Did you know at the time? Like I did not know at the time. And you, you don't, right? You're a dumb kid. You don't know what you're doing. I knew Warner Brothers. Like, here's the thing. <laughs> to put it into perspective, I was testing for Dragon Riders of Pern. Oh, boy. The day that I found out, I got to watch. Remember, so it was a TV show that was going to be about young men who rode on the backs of dragons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So um, when I got the call, I was just so enthusiastic that I didn't have to continue that test. And then I could leave that. I could leave because we were over at the ranch over off Warner Brothers. Uh, uh, and I was like, oh, God, I get to leave. And she goes, yeah, like you get on a plane in two weeks to go to Wilmington, North Carolina. I'm like, I've yeah. never fucking been to Wilmington, North Carolina. So it was just this, it was the greatest moment of just that I had, I had succeeded. I don't think I cared about the material. I don't think I cared about being an actor yet, really. I just, I had, you wanted to win, you know, because being in Hollywood is like, you feel like a shark. And there's, there's constantly, they're dropping little drops of blood in the water. And you don't see it. You know there's something fucking dead somewhere, right? Yeah, 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 you can yeah. smell it. Yeah. And you can taste it, but you just can't get a hold of it. So to actually get a piece of meat, that was that that's, that was, that was a success of the moment. Yeah, and you get there, and it's Mandy Moore. Who I had no, I didn't know who she was. And I, I knew Shane because I'd watched uh, Liberty Heights with him and Ben Foster. and Because I remember thinking how, how talented Ben Foster was. So yeah, I'm there, and... We're shooting that with Adam Shankman, you know, who had just done the wedding. He just shot the wedding planner. And uh, Al Thompson, who's still a dear friend. And Lauren German, who's still a good friend. And uh, who, yeah, was, uh, who was the mom? Was it? Uh, Daryl Hannah. That's right. 
Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah was the mom, and Peter Coyote yeah. played Mandy's dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. such a legend and great. And, I mean, look, we're in Wilmington, North Carolina, and we're a bunch of dumb kids, and they've given us a sack full of money and said, have at it. Raging. Fucking raging. Raging, yeah. And Wilmington's, what, like three colleges in that town? Three colleges. Uh, it's got a great downtown. The shit ton you of call bars. it home now. Oh, yeah, I live there. Yeah. Um, uh, shit ton of bars downtown, and then you've got beaches. So you've got two beaches. Uh, dude, right they're all the within beach. 15 minutes of each other. So you can, I mean, you can get loose in that city any which way you want. Um, it's really all about you and your stamina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really what it comes down to. <laughs> you know, how far can you take it? Because <laughs> you go down on Friday, Saturday night, downtown Wilmington, like, buddy. Buddy, I mean, at that river walk, I, I ran into nobody the other day, and he's like, he, he's, and we haven't seen each other in years, and I don't know what he was shooting out there, Ollie. He was out there because, I mean, there was... Um, big filming town woman. Big filming town yeah. at that time, right? They had the still, stages and everything. Still, still, all the screen gems and all that stuff is there. They were also shooting. There. Uh, they shooting anything out of there now? Yeah, a, bu- a bunch of shit. There was a TV show shooting next to my house, like right before I left. Uh, some Navy SEAL thing. Um, uh, SEAL, right. That SEAL Team Six or? Oh, absolutely. That yeah. was filming out yeah. there. Yeah, with Walt Goggins. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, and they were. Uh, there was a. Uh, I mean, literally that the house next door. They were. They were shooting in. And uh, so, yeah, it's a, it's a big film town. Look, and it's a, it's a, the whole experience, right? Of whole, just, you know, I'm out there shooting this movie, and I don't really know what I'm doing, um, but I'm trying just to enjoy myself, and I am trying to work on the craft and figure it all out, but you're just kind of caught up in it. And it's like, literally, I auditioned for Swim Fan while I'm out there, and I booked it, and you just start rolling, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I f- it was almost like you're a little, you know when you're a little kid and you're running downhill, and your legs begin to kind of move independently of themselves, of your, of your body, and you're just trying to keep up and not bust your face open? That's kind of how you feel. Well, the first, look, your first two films out of the gate, A Walk to Remember and Swim Fan, are both hits, mm-hmm. which also doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. Um, and especially at like a studio level where it's like, oh, shit. At, at that point, did you think, dude, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm I, going to be the guy. I, I thought, here's how arrogant I was. I was like, oh, it's that easy? Yeah. <laughs> oh. And then I started, because I grew up watching Sean Penn, and I grew up watching, you know, Mickey Rourke and these guys who constantly had their middle finger up. So I, I, I said to myself, I said, well, self, that's how you've got to handle this. you got to tell everybody to fuck off. And right. you've got to do massive amounts of cocaine and whiskey, right? Like that, <laughs> that's the only way to try and find true success yeah. in Hollywood. And uh, that was the groundwork that had been laid for me. So, yeah, dude, I thought it was, I was like, oh, this is it. And then when The Great Raid came, which was John Dahl, who had directed one of my favorite films, Rounders, and I'm going to work with, you know, James Franco and Connie Nelson and Benjamin Bratt and Joseph Fiennes and Sam Worthington. And we're like, and of course, this was before Sam had done what he what, had made Avatar. But we're, we're all, you know, I was just like, this is it. I'm in it. Yeah. And uh, and that's when you begin to throw it away. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's what I did. I just threw it all away. You know, I didn't know. I didn't know what I had. So it was just a lot of partying. You, you and I met. Right. Yeah, we we met trouble right after. You met right when I was leave. You were at my going away party for the Great Raid, which was like our first big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking like, oh, you're from where? And you're like, I grew up in Atlanta. I'm like, and then we laughed about Hardee's and NASCAR, and then that was really the end of it. Well, the fucked up thing is, so we became best friends, and then you left, and I remember you were only supposed to be gone for like maybe three months, (laughs) and you were gone for like a half a year, and I was like, I remember running into uh, your ex fiance, and I was like, hey man. Is Joey ever coming back? And uh, she was like, I don't, I don't know. Like yeah, he's stuck over there, and show. it's a, it's a whole thing. And I, 
if I'm not mistaken, I want to say you were gone for like six or seven months on that? It was like six months, and we were there, and it was one of those things, man, where I'm, I get to work, and it was my first... And I just had no one guiding me. Like, when I told my parents I was moving to Hollywood, I could have said I was moving to Mars. Right. You know, they just, there was no advice that they could give me to prepare me for the experience that I was going to find myself in. Nobody really can unless you grew up here. Nobody can. And then once you start hitting it, no one around here is going to tell you, hey, dumb kid, yeah. this is really huge, and here's how you navigate this situation. Yeah. Instead, I'm telling people to suck my dick, right? So I get to, I get to Australia, and we're getting ready to go to boot camp. Which is going to be a nightmare. With Dale Die. With Dale Die. <laughs> two months. I mean, two weeks of just misery. Out yeah. I love the fucking Australian. Dale's bush. been on the show. Uh, you also... had Dale. Ah, Dale Die coming on the show. Uh, yeah. Oh, wake up, you turd. Uh, <laughs> wakey, was... wakey, hand off, snakey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was on the show, uh, and then he was in the last movie I did. I put him in the last movie I did, Range 15. Ah, oh, he's in range. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. I was watching Saving Private Ryan last night on BBC, and uh, it, it was his scenes, you know. Um, he's so funny. Uh, that Funny guy. Really, he's, great he's, he's still very sharp and very funny. Uh, uh, but he takes his work seriously. So I'm sure when you got there, he was like, yo, you guys, I'm going to treat you like soldiers and put you in a boot camp, right? Brother, they gave us... MRIs, like the meals that... MREs. Yeah. MREs, yeah, 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 yeah. MRI, That's what I would have... Well, you probably got an MRI after that shoot. You so probably did, you know? We've got, and we've got the shit fucking tents from World War II, which is the two stakes with the flaps yeah. going over the... This, he, want, he wanted everything to be as it was in, 19, Real. in, in 1942. Yeah. Um, so that's how we lived until Max, Mar Max Martini and I met on that film, and uh, we started sneaking out of, base, out of, uh, out of camp. So we're, hiked, we're up in these mountains in northern Australia, uh, Australia, and we're just away from everything. And I was losing my mind mentally, and I knew that some armors, we'd gone on a long run two days before, and I'd seen the armorers, they had like coolers and like little cook stoves. And I'm like, these motherfuckers are eating real food down there. And I said, I bet you they're drinking. You're and like I, Denzel from Glory. Just trying to get some shoes and a cornbread. Dude, just, you know what I mean, with a single tear, man. And, and I'm just trying to convince Andre Brower to come with me, man. So we, we I, so I'm like, I'm like, Max, when everybody goes to sleep, we got to sneak out of here and we got to go down there because they've got a big bonfire and I bet you they got shit going on. He's like, oh man, I don't know, I don't know. I was like, so I, I convinced him to sneak out. We get down there. These fuckers have got apples that they've stuffed with butter and like cinnamon and sugar and they've put an ice cream on it. They're drinking <laughs> Jack and Coke. <laughs> they've got these fucking pork sandwiches and Max and I go down there and, they, and they're and they a little startled at first and then we kind of, you know, explain the situation that we're, we're, we're wore out and we need, and they just, they were the sweetest fucking Australian dudes. These armors, right? They had this huge really? thing. They were in charge of all the weapons because yeah. we had full loads every day that they would give us mags and we go through these drills shooting at one another. We were playing war basically all day getting prepared for this film Max and I every night would go down there and eat with these guys until finally they're like look you guys were gonna get in trouble so then Max and I started hitchhiking into fucking town and going to this little bar that had the best burgers oh man uh, and we would get hammered and eat burgers and then have to fucking hike, hitchhike back into, into camp and get into bed before the fucking wacky wacky hand off <laughs> and it's like oh dear god oh no Dale <laughs> just five more minutes man you know <laughs> When you so when you did that and you were gone for six months, uh, look, it was like a hundred million dollar movie. Yeah, um, the great charade. Yeah, uh, do you feel that you missed out on shit? Because at the time you were so hot that it was like that six months. Like you could have popped in, you could have done two movies instead of one. Oh, and I could have, and, I, and there was so many great. And offers. You probably couldn't audition there in Australia, right? No, you couldn't do anything, and you were just so into it, you know, because there was such a military mentality that we. 
regardless if you're on camera or not, you're at work every single day. Right. And you couldn't sometimes see the camera. It'd be on a fucking helicopter 400 yards away, you know, and you're just like, man, an orangutan could be in my uniform. Yeah. So it really took the wind out of my sails. And before we went to, before, let me go back, before we went to boot camp, I get a new draft because you got to understand, I was talking to the people at, um, uh, I forget the name of the film, but there was another film that was really big in uh, Cold Mountain. So it was Cold Mountain and The Great Raid, and I couldn't oh, decide. Oh, fuck. Oscar. Fuck. Oscar. Oh, you mean Oscar winning Cold so Mountain? So I go back to Alabama to decide, what am I going to do, Cold Mountain or The Great Raid? John Dahl calls me. I'm fishing with my uncle. Right. John Dahl calls my cell phone. And he's like, hey, buddy. And I'm like, oh, hey, John. And I'm looking at my uncle, and I'm like, you know, he's actually on the phone. And he just tells me how he would... Love for me to come do this film, and he how he sees the role. He saw it kind of how the Jackson character was in Saving Private Ryan, which was the you know the Barry Pepper character, and he's, sure. like, he's this great shot, and he's this and he just he sold me. Yeah. <clears throat> so I said yes, I'm going to come do this film, and uh, he goes, look, but I'm going to change the character's name. Do you have any ideas? And I said, well, my grandfather served in World War II, and his last name's Aldridge. He goes, done, Private Aldridge, and I was like. I gotta go do this movie, right? That's a fucking baller move. God damn it, man. He's such a pimp. He slid he just slid it right in my butt before I had knew what was happening. Who would you uh, let me ask you, who would you have been in Cold Mountain? Was it Charlie Hunnam's character? Yes. No way. Yes. Fuck. So I go and I do the film and then we get there and I'm in the hotel and it's the day before we leave to go to boot camp and we get the new draft comes out and I'm gone. I'm not I'm not in the script anymore. Oh no. My 15, 20 scenes are down to like six. And then by the time I, so I go into boot camp furious, fighting mad. I want to kill everybody. I call my agents. I want to come home. I don't want to do this movie. Don't make me go to boot camp. And they're just, and because I wasn't at a really big agency and I was in, I was in a very small management company at the time, I hadn't made that jump yet you right. know, to a UTA or to something like that, an ICM. And, um, you don't have enough control at that point, you, and, and you're and you're a kid, so you're and these are grown men, these producers. Yeah, oh yeah. And these women who were my managers are terrified because they don't want to have a bad relationship with Miramax because then their clients can't get in. Yeah. So they're just telling me to shut up and suck it up, and I know that the phone's ringing off the hook back in LA for me to go do work. So I go into boot camp just pissed. So I fight. I get in a lot of fights with the Australians, with the other guys. I get it, and it was and me and Dell die fucking locked up immediately. And I just didn't want to, I wasn't playing because I'm not doing this movie. So that's why, that was part of me sneaking out and just like, I'm not, this is not, I'm not participating. I don't want to do this film. And uh, I get back after boot camp and I get sat down with all the producers from Miramax and for the film and they sit down and they go, hey, so you're unhappy? I go, yeah, yeah, I don't want to do this movie. I want to go home. And he goes, yeah, if you leave, we're going to put out a press release that says you're the most difficult actor we've ever worked with and that no one should hire you. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? I just got started. Yeah. I was like, I'm you, you cut me out of the movie, so why would you want me here? We can't afford to stop production to recast your fucking character. So if you do this, you're going to cost us millions, millions. of dollars. Yeah. And, uh, and I sat there, and I was just like, fuck. And my agents had nothing to say to me. They are just like, you got to tough it out. And I came home, and I literally I shaved my head into a mohawk the day we wrapped in, in Australia. And I came back, and I said, fuck the world. And literally after I got back, I was home for a month, and One Tree Hill kept calling my manager saying they'd love me to come do this guest star. And I'm like, dude, fuck you, I'm not doing a guest star. And that offered me a ton of money. And she's like, look, it's back in Wilmington. Back in Wilmington, yeah. And I go, tell them I've got a mohawk, okay? And they'll say no, finally they'll leave me alone. She goes, she called me back, she goes, it's a punk rock kid, and they love it. They want you to have the mohawk. I'm like, motherfucker. 
all right, you know, four days, I'll fly out there. I get out there, they change the character, and they go, we want you to be a frat boy. I go, go, no, fuck you. And I had felt so railroaded by the Great Raid and Miramax that I was like, fuck you. I'm not cutting my fucking hair, and I'm not playing a frat boy. He goes, then you're going to get fired. I go, then put me on a fucking plane. Yeah. Ross, I didn't work for shit. I mean, outside of these little independent films, I didn't work for almost four years. Do you think the CW blacklisted you? I think Miramax, I think the CW, I think a lot of people just put it out there that I'm just difficult and I'm a jerk. They want you to come in, and they don't want you to have any ideas. They want you just to do what you're told. And especially when you're a kid. Yeah. Um, they just want you to be grateful. And, and I just, I had no perspective of what I had at that moment. So I didn't realize that you've got to play ball. But I mean, look, as a result, I, I, I didn't know what I was doing as an actor then. So as a result, it made me go back to the, I, I, I said, I'm never going to um, be a pretty boy. I want to be rough. I want to have facial hair and I want to be a mess. I'm going to gain weight and I'm going to start doing gritty independent films. And as a result, I really learned my craft. And that was my time to kind of grow and I met my wife during that time and I had children and if I had had the success that I was starting to have I wouldn't be where I'm at today I would be, I would have been dead in a pool you know with a head full of cocaine and a bunch of hookers you know what I mean so yeah. it was all very positive but at the time it was just gut-wrenchingly difficult yeah because looking back on it now um, fuck man uh, you because a lot of people don't know how many if you if you have a chance to look up Clayton Crawford on IMDb <laughs> You have fucking 90 credits. Well, because I've died on every CBS fucking drama there is, right? Because you got you start having children, you're like, I got to work. So then I became that actor that I lost all respect. People lost all respect because they were like, oh, he's just an actor for hire. I would do, because I didn't have a choice, you know? I was, I was, I had a family now and we were so broke that I was doing every guest star I could get my hands on. Like, I've done every CSI, you know? But, but I remember telling you at the time, like, hey... This will never hurt your career because it, it it makes a, and this is for all actors, and this, is, this has always been my opinion, and, and I don't think I've been wrong in this opinion, is until you were super famous and the guy who's just getting lead offers in studio movies, you, you should just keep working and take almost everything you can because um, not only does it help with your craft, but... Uh, it it keeps you working. It keeps you financially going. So that way, people more and more people see you, they see your shit, and they're like, oh, all right, great. You know, look, I, think I liked a, him in that one little thing. There's a lot of value to that, and I think the, I <clears throat> I think more so. You know what it is? It's you got to keep working. And I think you and I were always good about that. Is that if we weren't working, whether it was Barnes Brothers or whether it was Seven Ten, you and I were always trying to shoot something, make something, yeah, make something. So yeah. that you know, I kind of felt that we were a lot like dancers in the sense that you've got to, you can't. You can't let the the mechanism, you know, slow down. You got to keep moving, keep moving, and keep it keep that muscle hot, and um and 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 that and that's what we did. But look, high school. I mean, Hollywood's such. It, I go back to saying how much it's like high school because these casting directors, these females, a lot of them who wanted to be actresses, yes. who are now in these roles of having to cast people, they get these fucking they they get these axes to grind with certain actors. And yeah. I mean, so many hated me. So many. Oh, I had. I trust me. I had my fair share. <laughs> they just they get they hate, hated me. Where they were just because uh, if you go off script, like I improv a lot. Yeah. You oh, go off good, script. Goodbye. Take care. Yep. Uh, to this day, I've never done one TV show that wasn't my own that I sold myself. Uh, never got like a guest star or anything because they want you to read it to the word. 
If you miss the or and or something in there, they're like. And isn't it funny? You and I always stuck to our guns. Like, if it's not funny, we're gonna make it funny. Yes. And and I'm and I, I will say this because I took the path that I did, and I've never let anybody run over me, and I always stick to what because I'm never trying to let ego make decisions. I always go for my heart or my gut, you know, my creative gut or heart, and. I've stuck by it all these years, and now being in this position that I'm at now with, with Lethal Weapon, it has been in a sense like that. This is this is my first job. That all this other was kind of a build up to it because I stuck to my guns. I did what was right, and going into this job, I told them, "Look, if I'm going to do this, we have to kind of not play by my rules, but we have to certainly. You've got to let me have free reign in a sense because this character and this job's never going to work if you force me to to say what some guy wrote in a room." It took him two weeks that has no idea who I am. Right. And has no idea who this character is. And I think that's the flaw with network television is these writers are put on such a high pedestal that you have to, you know, like they're, like, it's like, look, this isn't Mammoth, guys. You know, you pump these scripts out and you've got to write 22 of them. Yeah. You've got to let the actors kind of have some free play and, they're, and you're not allowed to. No. And they're, they, they take their words very seriously. And as a writer uh, and a director, I, I don't. Where it's just like if, if I'm hoping to find somebody great who can make your shit better because it's going to make me Which look like a bigger process, genius. It? Yeah. it does make you look a bit. Yeah. And it's just like it's such a process. It's like a director saying you have to follow these. You have to, hey, I want you, I, I've already got the blocking figured out for you. Yeah. Right when you get to set, it's like, well, how am I supposed to move as an actor if, if you've already got the dance moves laid out? <laughs> yeah. Right? Like I've got to figure it out. I've got to find the sway. And um, yeah, man. So it, it yes, I'm grateful for all that that happened. But when you're in it, man, I mean, look, if I add until that Peru trip, you think, man, like I was going out, my career was almost over. You want, you want to talk about that Peru trip? You think we should talk about the Peru <laughs> trip? I don't know. <laughs> Whoo, ayahuasca. And, ayahuasca uh, in Peru. Um, salmonella. Yeah. We, we, at, at, and this is, you're, you're doing a ton of independent films at this point. Um, well, I had gone, you and I had just made, I think you and I had just finished Barnes Brothers. MTV had given us that deal, and we went and shot the pilot. And then I did that terrible movie, Brooklyn to Manhattan, and my son was born. And I remember I had a, I had a freak out, uh, which was quite normal in those days. Um, and my, my son, my second child had been born, Colton. And I remember sitting in my house, and my manager had called me and fired me. And then I was so devastated. And then within 20 minutes, my agents called, and they fired me. And I'm sitting in the kitchen. And what was the reason? I was a lunatic. Okay. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I, I just, I wasn't normal. Like, and I was doing so many drugs and I was just so, you're so out of touch with reality living in this town and when you're in this business and people just kind of tell you what you want to hear. And um, so I was a mess and I didn't deserve to have anybody working for, I couldn't have worked with me. And so I'm sitting in my kitchen holding my son and he's a year old. And I'm like, fuck, I have nothing coming out. MTV had passed on us. Yeah. And I'm like, what am I going to do? And my phone rang two days later, and it was my buddy, Sonny Marler. And he goes, hey, man, somebody's giving me a bunch of money to go make a documentary in Peru. And I was like, about what? And he goes, well, we're going to follow the path of St. Saint, uh, Pedro, you know? And I'm like, who? And he's like, I don't know. But this this saint who uh, followed this path, he left royalty to go, and, 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 and it's like the path of the Incas. And... Oh like, fuck! I love ancient aliens, so whatever. Let's go look at some. <laughs> I'd love to go see some some cool stuff. Let's go to Cusco, man. So he, so I go. Well, I, I didn't say that. I go, fuck, man. I can't go do some some goofball, you know. And he goes, I can give you ten grand. Boom, I'm in. Boom. Yeah. I just got fired, man. So I'm like, boom, Kiki, baby. I got ten grand. We're gonna go to Peru, which turns into 
we tell ourselves that we're going to do like this spiritual journey where we cut out caffeine, we cut out cigarettes, uh, drugs, alcohol, sugar, right? And we try to go on this pure, essentially. Well, we all have to go through rehab while we're there, right? So we're going through like withdrawals for the first few days, which we almost killed each other, right? All uh, in shitty ass Lima. I'm s- like I'm sweating hearing this. I'm story. sweating thinking about it. Hearing this. So, story. dude, we get and we're on dirt bikes running through Peru. And uh, we'd been out, we'd been there for about two weeks. And I remember I'd, I, I just had my fill of power bars and I, I wanted real food so bad. And we'd been told all these horror stories about eating in Peru and the water quality and so forth. And I see this guy outside of Puno. And Ross, he had like six of these chickens on this skewer, right? And he's over this big open fire and he's just rotating them. And this fucking <laughs> smell hits me. And I'm like, oh, dear God. And we pull our bikes over. And I'm like, how much? And it's like a dollar, right? An American yeah. equivalent. So I'm like, I'll take three of them. <laughs> so we take these fucking Give me chickens. the stick. Give me Give the me whole stick. Yeah. And we eat this chicken. And I remember taking a bite of this. And I was like, hmm. That didn't, that didn't taste like it was right. And it tasted really slimy. And I was like, you know, you know what, Joey? Stop it. You're, you're, you're on an adventure. Stop judging everything. <laughs> Cut to two days later. I am fucking throwing my guts up and shitting water out my ass. And uh, uh, I wake up in a makeshift ambulance, which is essentially some dude yelling for people to get out of the way as I'm in the back of like a station wagon and we're bouncing around and they're trying to give me a fucking IV. And all I can hear is Sonny going, he's, he doesn't want to go to the hospital. He doesn't want to go to the hospital. And I'm like trying to talk and he's like, if he does not go to the hospital, he will not make it. He will not make it. He has 104 <laughs> fever. And I'm like, oh God. And the hospital was really like a duplex. Uh, with bed in it, beds in it. It was filthy. I've been in veterinarians cleaner than this place. Mm. Oh, buddy. And uh, essentially, I'm there for like a, about a week. They tell me I have salmonella and I'm, eat, I'm riddled with parasites. <laughs> and I go, and my nuts, because of my fever, had, it's called elephantitis. Yeah, yeah, So yeah. I had nuts that were like, um, like grapefruits. Yeah, softballs. They're huge. Yeah. And very painful. Like, you didn't realize that the skin could stretch that far, right? <laughs> it's like, it looks like an alien's head with all these veins and fuck. So I've got these massive nuts that he's, they're like giving me these orthopedic underwear that you have to wear. They're like, so I'm tucking my un- my nuts into this underwear. And they're basically saying, look, we've done all that we can do for you. It's time to go. You know, so yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. I don't feel better, but <laughs> I'm going I'm to go. So we get out and there's, I, I get to the hotel, and uh, which we finally did a hotel. We've been just camping and staying in hostels here and there but we get a hotel and, and my buddies are like so we're leaving to go to Oleante Tambo I'm like you can't fucking leave me here like what am I gonna do like where are we and they're like oh you can go Ross I pick my nuts up and set them on this gas can have this dirt bike and we take off right <laughs> <laughs> we take off to Oleante Tambo and we get there and Sonny's like I'm in this fucking shitty hostel and my nuts and my body are so sore and I'm so fucking sick and I'm still shitting slime and he goes, and he comes, and he's like, he's like, doom, 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 doom. hey, hey, you up? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, all right, come on. I got these guys. They're going to take us on a spiritual journey. But you're going to have to be more, more specific on exactly what we're doing, you know? And he's like, just come on, come on. Which three Peruvians in the back of a pickup truck with burlap sacks, machetes, and shovels. So I'm like, well, they're going to fucking cut us up and kill us. That's yeah. what we're going to go do, yeah. right? That's, what, that's, that's really what this is. It's like, dude, just stop. These are wonderful people. I met them in Cusco, and they followed. They brought us out here to, to uh, Oliente Tamba. 
So we hike up into these mountain draws, which it is a gauntlet to get up into this place. And then this some guy starts digging a hole, and another guy starts burning these rocks and sticks. And I'm like, what the, the fuck? The ritual. You're getting Dude, ready for a ritual, oh, it's, right? It's happening. So yeah. he starts setting up a teepee, <laughs> and this guy's lining it with eucalyptus, and another man's like getting this hole, and he's like, please step into the knee beat. And I'm like, fuck this guy. He's like, what are we doing? And he's like, look, we're going to drink this stuff. I'm like, peyote? Is that what we're doing? Because I just got out of the hospital. This is a terrible idea. And then the one voice of reason, Dick Code, is like, bro, I've always wanted to try this. As he's taking his fucking clothes off and getting into the teepee. Wow. So I'm standing outside this teepee in my underwear, and all these dickheads are inside here sweating their balls off, and some guys with a shovel full of red rocks dropping them in that hole inside the teepee. <laughs> oh, as boy. another dude's pouring filthy water over the top of it, and they're all like, oh, my. And I'm yeah. like, the whole ritual starts. It's happening. Yeah, and I'm uh, fucking uh, out of it. Yeah. And one dude just standing outside with a shovel by the fucking burning rocks. He's like, please, you should go on inside. You don't hear it. And I'm like, well, fuck, man. I get inside this TV, Ross, and we sweat for an hour. By the time we get out, we're drenched. It's The sun's gone down, and they start passing around this Mountain Dew bottle, this 20-ounce Mountain Dew bottle that's been cut in half to make a makeshift cup with what looks like green cactus juice. Right. It's muddy, right? It's kind of oh, like a muddy. God. It looks like thick. a yeah, like a swamp. Like a like a um like a smoothie that you would get from Air One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay yeah. right. And and we start to drink this fucking thing, and uh, Dick Code of course throws up immediately. I don't throw up. I hold all this in, and uh, it, I go on a forty-eight hour ayahuasca trip. Oh boy, buddy, I'm sitting there, and they go, "You got to ask the universe, like, what do you want?" And I said, "Well." I mean, I want to be a better father and a better husband and a better son, right? Who doesn't? <laughs> I drink this shit. I go on this thing to where at some point we're laying there and the stars have been dancing for hours. And I'm like, okay, well, we should all start going back to the hostel now. And he goes, no, no, no. We all stay here tonight. Mm. No, 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 no. We're not, we're not camping out here. No, no, no. We're not going to camp out here. <laughs> we're, we're going back. And then they stand up and they're like, no, you must stay. And I was like... Well, listen, motherfucker, I'm not staying. And then it turns into a confrontation, and all of a sudden, because of the ayahuasca, my Spanish is completely gone, and their English is completely gone. So now it's just a lot of yelling, and no one understands each other. And are you still thinking about the machetes in the truck? That's like- all I can think. The machetes are now with us, and I've got a satellite <laughs> phone. Sonny's dad gave us a satellite phone, and I'm like, who do I call? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm in the fucking mountains of Oliente Tambo. Come and help. Hurry up. Right? So then I'm like, I'm going back to the truck. And I start panicking. They start trying to get in front of me, and it turns into a confrontation, right? And I'm like, go fuck. And I'm jumping down, and I'm realizing that they have taken me through this fucking gauntlet to get here, and this is not going to be easy to get back to get back to the truck. Sure. We shimmy down this tree going down this rock, this little rock wall, and I stop, and I can see the truck, which is probably 200 yards away down at the bottom of the hill through the woods. The interior light comes on in the truck. I go, one of them's at the fucking truck. And Ryan goes, there's no way they're tripping. He goes, you're tripping, right? And Ryan didn't take ayahuasca because he's videotaping this whole. This is all on camera. He's got to like, shoot it. Yeah. He's documenting this whole fucking extern. So I'm like, they're at the truck, man. They're at the truck. He's like, there's no way. There's no way. We get down to the truck. We get into it. Oh, God. It's like a horror movie. What do you mean a horror movie, Ross? I'm dying in fucking Oliente Tambo. And all I can think about is my Machetes, child. a car that won't start. And three Peruvians going... What is wrong? It don't work? You know it doesn't work, you motherfucker. And now I'm losing it, right? Yeah. So now I'm trying to grab a machete out of the truck, and I'm trying to defend myself. And they're like, oh, no, it's okay. Back off. Back. Come on, we walk down this. And I'm like, guys, we're about to follow them into where? So now we're walking down this fucking dark road. And my, Ross, I've never, I, I made peace with God. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. And it was that moment of like, 
oh, this is like watching the first 48 hours or one of Dateline. You know, I'm that oh, yeah. guy. I'm yeah, you're you're going to be the next uh, Natalie Holloway. I'm like, Natalie Holloway. We're just like, I'm oh. a prettier Natalie Holloway. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, and you're and you're the the dead kid in Peru, and it's like we got to figure out how this happened. And it's because I followed Sonny Marler. Oh boy. Oh, and just I'd never been so disappointed in myself. But through that journey, you know, we I, I we finally they get us to our hostel, right? Uh-huh. And I realize, oh, these poor Peruvian men just didn't want the crazy gringos high on ayahuasca running through the town. Sure. So they were protecting us essentially, but because I was so fucked up. And then it cuts, and this went on for 48 hours. I thought I'd lost my mind. So I came back a much better father, uh, a much better husband, and a much better son. And my career literally took back off again when I came back from that trip. Would you say, like, the assholeness and, and all of the ungratefulness from those previous projects uh, was gone after that, where you were like, all right, I just want to be a working actor, do I'd never my been job? so humbled in all my life. Yeah. And I'd never been so grateful to come home because I remember when it finally started wearing off I'm going we were going into uh, yeah, no. uh, we were going into uh, uh, going to Machu Picchu and I'm thinking okay I'm almost going to be okay I'm going to be okay I'm going to be okay and this guy starts walking with this cow and there's these little kids like sucking on little suckers and they're standing there on this concrete slab and they're just licking away at these little tiny suckers and this man comes walking with this cow and I'm like oh wow how beautiful and he pulls this cow and then he takes a blade from his boot and slices this fucking cow's neck drops it on the ground and guts it right there as these little kids are eating their suck and I was like that's it I'm going to America <laughs> go fuck yourself boys I'm going back to the United States of America Sit. this journey is over I'm going to go raise my children and just be a regular old actor and I don't care what I do that's and, amazing and I came home and got 24 and that's when it all turned around that's amazing Sandy our producer saying uh, you know we're running hey Sandy we're going to keep it going buddy we're going to keep it going here um, uh, edit it later yeah 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 um, so you, you get 24 which was a huge deal like, I remember when you were on 24, it was like, oh, shit. Like, that was like a, was a huge that, show. That's a time. job that, like, your parents call you and you're like, man, I fucking, like, he's made it. Twenty Like, 24 Finally. was like, you made it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd audition for Freddie Prince Jr.'s role. Um, and they were like, yeah, you're not going to get this. But we'll call you in for something else. And if I've, you know, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that, I wouldn't need to be an I actor. Know. Right? I know. Yeah. But they actually called. And I got the job, and it turned into nine episodes. And then that turned into The Glades, which was a recurring, which I hated. And, uh, but I still, I would come to, you know, I, I kept fighting. Then I got the Allen Ball. And it was just like this slow progression, you know, until I finally got Rectify. And Rectify was really like, okay. Sun, Rectify, by the way, for, the, for those who don't know, was uh, Sundance Channel? Yeah, it was a little show on the Sundance Channel. Um, but, but critically, people oh. loved it. And, like, uh, I, I would always see it pop up, like, on ads, like, you know, for your consideration. And, and especially in all the, the industry sites, like Deadline, The Wrap, all that right. stuff. And it was every critic's favorite show. And every list at the end of the year said, you know, five shows you were not watching. Rectify was always on there. Um, yeah, look, it was a great show. You just, you know, it's tough because it was um, the creator, Ray McKinnon. You know, he wanted to make something that was as close to reality as humanly possible. So it's very uncomfortable to watch for a lot of people. I think my own family, uh, outside of my mom and dad, no one in my family watched that show. And I mean, I was on it for four seasons. Yeah, no, because they were just. It was too it's, much for It's me. a hard watch. It's um, a hard watch. And it's, it's such a slow show, right? It, it's it a is slow burn. Because I, I watched the first uh, two or three episodes, 
And I felt like I'd watched like maybe an eight-hour film. <laughs> I felt like I'd watched uh, Gettysburg, you know, like the three and a half hour. And I was like, shit, it was really good. It, it was shot beautifully. Um, yeah. The writing was great. You guys were all fantastic. Um, but it was, you know, it's a journey where you're like, shit, is this what I'm going It's on? like going, I mean, it's, well, you know, that's why I was on the Sundance Channel. It's like going to a festival and watching, you know. Yeah, like yeah, 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 like, yeah. It's beautiful. But I just need a car chase every now and then. And it's know? amazing. But but I remember critically, I remember this. Critically, everybody was talking about it to the point where I remember thinking to myself, whenever this ends, he's probably going to get something massive. Um, simply because there's, there is shows and, t- and movies that the town watches, um, where maybe nowhere else in America watches, but the town watches, Hollywood watches. Right. And so they're like, fuck. They've got their favorites, and they're just waiting for it to end to get them to be on other shit. Same with movies. And then you got movies like Range 15. Range 15 was the highest grossing independent film of 2016. Every red state, everywhere I go, I hear, <laughs> everybody loves it. Not one single person in Hollywood watched it. So, like, I got, like, my phone couldn't have been more silent if it was Hillary Clinton smashed up, put in a bag, like, Blackberry style, and then turned into the DOJ. But you say that, but it's like, I had no, you know, I, and that's what I kept thinking. I was like, okay, Rectify is going to be, the phone just didn't ring, you know? And, and I think maybe, and I told my agents this, I said, look, we're finishing the last season of Rectify. I want to take a year off. And I thought I might want to do a play or something, you know, and just really take time and wait for the right Where at? In New York or, or L.A.? I would like to do London, you know. Just oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. kids to kind of get to experience um, that part of the world and, and actually be there for six months. Uh, so we thought, my, you know, Kiki and I kind of thought about going there for, for a year and um, for me to kind of try my hand and get into do some theater there. And, and I, I, I told her... I, I had, we had two conversations watching the uh, national championship game, uh, Alabama versus Clemson, the first time they played. And I remember saying, A, because Mikey was in that movie uh, with Ben Foster and Chris Pine, um, the World War II thing, where all the, they're on the boats or whatever. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it, was, yeah. it was previewing during the game. And I'm like, fuck, man, I want to be in something that fucking the, all, the commercials are during like a, a, ba- a big-ass sporting event, right? Yeah, you want yeah. all your boys to be like, yo! Right? So I'm like, oh, how great would that be? And then in the same tone, I'm like, but I'm not doing anything for a year. I'm going to take time off because this is January and we were starting Rectify in April. So I'm like, and I mean, dude, I didn't fucking make it to April. And this thing started coming around. And I thought. Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And I was like, this. And it had nothing to do with Rectify, right? These guys had seen Baytown Outlaws. They saw Baytown Outlaws. Ah. And they were like, yo, you could play this character. And I'm like, I'm not doing a network show, guys. Like, I've got Rectify coming up, my final season. I'm going to focus on that. So that's why that's why the hesitant. I just didn't think that was the job. I was like, network TV is not where I'm supposed to go. Yeah. Uh, hey, Sandy, I got it, buddy. Um, our, our producer, Sandy, I love him so much. Um, we're... We're gonna keep going. Um, <laughs> he's like, man, I think I think you're an hour and ten minutes. On, I, no, I know, Sandy. I know this is a good one. God damn it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Baytown Outlaws. I saw. I saw on um, uh, Direct TV, it, and it was Billy Bob Thornton. Um, uh, you? Yeah, and Travis. Was it called Baytown Disco originally? It was, yeah, it was called. The, these guys from Alabama sent me a script, and uh, and I read this thing, and I was like, "Holy crap, this is fantastic!" So I took it to my managers, and I was like, "Hey, this is the movie. I want to get this film made." You stole that entire movie, by the way. Well, I mean, look, it was written really, really well. 
and it made the blacklist, right? So yes. those guys got got wrapped, and then we and we were able to get Billy Bob and Eva Longoria and Michael Rappaport, and we got some great guys. The film didn't turn out the way we wanted, um, but it was still there was there was enough there of my performance that the that Warner you Brothers you crushed though. So like. It was again. It was such a great role. I mean, I thought this was it when I read it. You know, you read. I'm sure you know Bruce Willis when he read Die Hard. He's like, oh shit, right? You know, it was one of those kind. Of, I thought that was going to be my end all be all film because to me it was like what Smoke and Aces should have been. You know, like a greener sure. version. You know. Um. So so that that happens. And who who was the president at the time of Fox? Well, look, it was Peter Roth at Warner Brothers who. Saw oh really? It. Yeah. So Warner Brothers does your show. Warner Brothers produces it, and then uh, the network is Fox. So it's very gotcha. unusual. Uh, mostly Fox only does their own stuff, and they shoot it all shoot it all out of their lot. Uh, so this was a Warner Brothers show. So this was the first time that they not the first time, but this is one of those opportunities. Where did they own the rights to Lethal Weapon? Is that why? Correct. Okay. Warner Brothers did the original. Because it's film. it's it's highly unusual simply for the fact of. Most of those profits probably go to Warner Brothers instead of Fox, right? Yeah, you know. Yeah. So it it it's and I mean I don't know all the ins and outs of the of the producing side of it, but yeah, I know Matt Miller had basically went to he went to Warner Brothers, being such a huge fan of Lethal Weapon. He goes, look, I know this sounds crazy, I think I could turn it into a TV show, and everyone said you are crazy, like it's not going to be. And 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 he wrote a great script, and 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 to his credit, um, but for me, it's still I didn't even read the script. Because I'm like, this is no fucking way. Like, Rush Hour was getting ready to come out, which looked like garbage. Oh, uh, it was terrible. Uh, and I knew they were making Training Day. And I'm just like, yep. I don't want to be on another one of these. Like, this is not my path. I'm an artist, right? right. Um, so, I, so I thought. And, uh, <laughs> and then, buddy, at fucking 11 o'clock, and I'll never forget because my the power had gone out. The cable had gone. Something had gone. Satellites. Because it was storming. In Alabama? In Alabama. I'm at my farm, and I was watching uh, Straight Outta Compton on DV, on one of the screeners. Ah, big fan. Oh, big fan. And I'm, I'm, I'm burning one and just enjoying myself, and my phone rings. And it's like, I said, it's like 10 o'clock in my house, and it's my agents. And they're like, hey, you got to get on a plane tomorrow. And I'd pass on the weapon about four times. I said, for what? I said, dude, I'm shooting. I was shooting something with my buddies on the farm, right? Yeah, I was yeah, yeah. This little thing. And he goes... Uh, Peter Roth wants to sit down with me in his office, and he wants you to look him in the face and tell him, "No, you're not going to do a show." No way. I was like, "Well, dude, I'm not going to do that. Like, I can't go tell some. Like, I don't, I don't want to put myself in that situation." He goes, "You don't really have a choice. Like, when they call, you, you're going to want to work with Warner Brothers again one day. You yeah. got to go." It's true. It's true. So they they flew me out, and uh, I walked into the room, and he fucking sold me, man. And well, here's the thing: I read the script on the plane going there, and 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 I say this, and I haven't told many people this. I, you know, I. I got off that plane thinking, I can't screw this up. So it went the from meeting. Me, yes, it okay. went from me flying out here to go. How am I going to tell this man no? How am I going to look him in the eye and walk out of here? To how do I not fuck this meeting up? Yeah, this show is because as an actor, you still read it and you're still that little boy. You're still that twelve year old little boy who wants to play cowboys and superheroes. Yep. and this was both. This was like a cowboy superhero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's broken, who can't figure it out, who is so can't get out of his own way, but always saves the day and always tries to help others. And I was like, damn, like who doesn't want to fucking play that, right? I know. Right? I so. know. I, I, and I remember when you got it, and I was I I, I read it, um, and then my phone started blowing up. Dude, you fucking buddies just got lethal weapon. And I was like, what? I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So I went. I went online, I started reading it, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I remember thinking to myself, because all of that shit had just happened, rush hour, everything else. And I know so much about the industry. I, I remember saying there was a mutual friend of ours, Tim, who uh, runs a bar in the, in the Valley of the Rec Room. And, 
And he goes, hey, do you hear about Joe? And I was like, yeah. And I go, he goes, that can't work, right? And I go, <laughs> I go, no. And I go, but if they let him do what he does, it could work and there's a shot. But I go, I, I, no lie, I told him, I go, they'll never let him do what he wants because they just don't do that at a network. They're not. And, I, and if, if I had not said no so many times, because here's what happens, right? They go in with this little piece of tape from Baytown Disco or Baytown Outlaws. They go into Fox, Warner Brothers. So Mick G., Matt Miller and Peter Ross. So you've got the director of the show, the writer, and the head of Warner Brothers going into Fox going, hey, here's our guy. And Dana Walden and Gary going, well, who the fuck is this? Right. And they're like, well, we don't have an audition tape, but we're going to show you this footage of this little movie he did with his buddies in Alabama. And they're like, well, where is he now? They're like, he lives in Alabama. And, and they show it. They had no idea who I was. And they had no idea. So they're thinking, <gasps> We found this actor. Yeah, yeah. Was was yeah, yeah. Bring him in. Yeah. And, they, and they're like, we found this guy. We've discovered is the word they kept using. Oh, you know? boy. After after 30 movies, you got, uh, dude, you got discovered. Years, yeah. 20 years, I was finally discovered. You yeah. got discovered. because And when you watch it, you watch the pilots, it looked like you were wearing your own clothes. Um, <laughs> I don't know how they let you have a mustache. Uh, dude, they, Dana, I, I came in because first of all, I was like, I'm not cutting my hair. And I feel like you should have a mustache. And they were like, Okay, well, we can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> and I go, well, that's what I... And then Miller, I got Matt Miller on board. He goes, look, man, I want you to do what you do. And I was like, well, then here's how I do it. Well, Dana from Fox goes, I don't want any mustache acting, so he's going to have to lose it. This is the night before we start Mustache shooting. Mustache acting. Dude, I never <laughs> in my life. <laughs> no, you got to understand, they flew me out on a Thursday. The fucking show starts shooting the following Thursday. They've been looking for this guy for three months. Can't find it. Jeez. Shit. So I'm going through the process, through the process. Wednesday night, Miller's calls me. He goes, I need you back at the lot. I come to the lot and what's up? He goes, they don't want you to have a mustache. I'm like, then I'm going back to fucking Alabama. I don't want to do this show in the first place, man. Like, this is not, I'm so nervous it's going to fucking fail. Yeah. And nobody's going to hire me again. Yeah. And he goes, I got an idea. He takes a photo of me, takes it to the art department. They Photoshop the mustache out. Send her the photo. God, this is horrible that I'm talking about this on camera. <laughs> Send her the photo. And she goes, okay, great. Go for it. We shot. And I go, dude, what are we going to do? He goes, after they see what you do the first day, yeah. not give us any notes. We shot the first fucking day. We shifted the schedule to where it was a very heavy scene. We shot it. We sent them dailies. We never got notes. That's amazing. Here we are, man. It never happens. It, it never dude, happens. The, the boots, the way that I, they, I wear my clothes with the boots out and the thing, it's all because I said no and I was willing to walk away. So all those things that got me fired years before and yeah. everything that made me difficult to work with is what's made this thing great because I'm not trying to tell people to fuck off. I'm just trusting my heart and I'm saying, look, if we're going to fail, let's fail doing the best we can. Right. So let me just give it the best shot I can. And they're going to cancel us anyway after three episodes. We all felt that. Well, we got three episodes and they're going to say go. Right? So I was like, let's just make three episodes that we can watch that with our great. friends and family yeah. Yeah. and that we're happy with. And everybody got on board. And I think as a result, we're just, you know, and we're lucky um, that people feel the same way, you know, and that they're as entertained about it as we are. Yeah, because I, I, I watch it and I, all of the best qualities of you as an actor are in this one role. You get to be dramatic and serious. You get to be fucking hilarious. Um, and you get to be cool, more importantly, where it's just like, hey, man, like, that's that's the guy at home that women watch who want to fuck, guys watch and they want to bro out with. Like, you're, you're winning in every demographic with that role. And it's just like, truthfully, it's 
pretty close to who you are, like, as a person. Well, you know, that's what's fucked up, too, Ross. It's like, I go, you know, when I first did a Walk to Remember and Swim Fan, and this also goes back to my breakdown of, of an actor's, I go back to Alabama, which nobody has any idea what you do and what the, what, what the craft entails or what the process of filmmaking is and how long it is. Uh, really long. Really long, and how many times you have to do that scene from how many different angles. And I remember coming home, and they said, oh, well, you ain't an actor. You're just playing you. Yeah. And I was like, but isn't that what Dustin Hoffman is doing? Yes. And isn't that what Kevin Spacey, like, that's why we cast Kevin Spacey. But, they're like, but it, it gave me such a, a stigma, and I felt so insecure about what I had done with those two films that that was part of the reason, too, after the whole debacle with The Great Raid, that I was like, I'm going to play characters, and I'm going to show everybody that I'm an actor, you know? And how funny to come all the way back around 20 years later, and I'm finally just able to play me. Granted, a drunk, sad, crazy version sure, of me. Sure, sure, sure. But that's all we can bring to roles. And I didn't, I, I had fought that for so long. I literally tried, I, I thought I was fucking, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, or at least I wanted to be. Right. And and so very few people can have that quality that like a Philip Seymour Hoffman has where you can truly become other human beings. You know, that really your your best gift is to the audience is to show them who you are and be free with that. And that's when they'll just eat you up and love you. Exactly. And I think the best uh, actors and the most, certainly the most famous ones, it really isn't like Bruce Willis. Like, it's Bruce Willis. It's Bruce Willis. It, it's like he's fucking rad. Uh, fucking rad. Brad Kevin Pitt. Spacey, all this. Brad Pitt, Clooney. And he plays characters. You know, Clooney, Clooney, especially. He's uh, fucking Clooney, it's right? Clooney. Like, it, it's the same. McConaughey. It's, it's it's still McConaughey, where you're like, I love that guy, no matter what. And nobody told me that. Nobody said, hey, your greatest asset as an actor are your best qualities. Whatever your three best qualities are, that's what you should bring to every role in some interpretation, you know? And uh, no one ever told me that. Yeah, I, there is no guideline for it, There's and they no don't book. give you a handbook when you they get don't here. Give you a like, handbook. hey man, here's what you really need to do. Because um, <laughs> otherwise, you'd be like, "Fuck, could have been famous 20 years ago." <laughs> um, but again, we'd have been dead in a pool with a bunch of drugs. And, probably. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, we're lucky that we that we had the experiences we did, aren't we? Uh, yeah, looking back on it now, but what, as you're going through it. It seems uh, like the end of the world every single day. In a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, in a lifetime. So, like, these years, to me, seem like fucking hundreds of years. Um, you know, whereas somebody like Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, when he was... He's preparing for nine years in a row, like... Uh, right. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> he, he, says he's, he says he's retiring after this movie. No, truthfully, he's just going to prepare for a movie he's going to do 20 years in the future Correct. of a guy who retired. Um, right. And it's just, like... Right. He's in, he's in a bunker somewhere. Prepping for something. <laughs> um, last but not least, uh, before before we get out of here, what 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 are some of the pitfalls that you've gone through? Like uh, family, friends asking for jobs, money, all of that. Oh, you shit. mean like you mean with the success of the show? Yes. Oh, Ross, you know. I mean, listen, man. The because um... you've you've reached a, you've reached a level that is higher than. I would say 99% of actors reach now. And I'm sure, because your experiences are worse than than mine, I'm sure now, where it's like, hey, you know, people asking for job, can I come fucking write? Can I come direct oh, an episode? Oh, God. I've got people saying, you know, why am I not on your fucking writing staff? You know how good of a writer I am. And what they what people don't realize is, is that you're just an employee. That's it. You're, you're an employee. I like, mean, and yes, I'm sure if this, if I'm, if we're lucky and this thing goes four seasons, then yeah, I'm sure I would have, I would be in a producer at that point. You can have and more, some say. more of a say, yeah. <clears throat> but what they don't realize is that you're still just kind of playing ball, you know. And yeah, I mean, and I think it goes to, you know, 
with all the silliness aside, you and I both have big hearts, and we just we care about people, and we hate to see people struggle. Sure. And and people prey on that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's it's difficult, um, but I mean, look, I think for the most part, I ha- I come from a really solid family, and uh, I've got a good core group of friends who. Again, I'm not a 22-year-old kid who's had a lot of success from a movie like I had. You know, they went through the rough times when I was broke as hell. And, I, and I'm, you know, work, going back to construction uh, after being um, in number one films, right? So I've, I think because of the journey, you weed out all the bullshit. And whoever's with you at the end, that's your, that, that, that's your true amigo. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's like you and I and, and, and our wives are so fucking down, right, that they put up with us. And, and we have our core group. So... Yeah, look, are there pitfalls? Absolutely. Uh, do you feel uncomfortable because everybody comes to you and asks for you for money? 100%. Yeah. You know, uh, do I have family members, um, cousins and such who we don't really have a relationship anymore because they've asked for such large amounts of money and I don't know how to be around them anymore? Right. You know, um, which is silly, first of all, because like, how much money do you think we really make in this business? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you yeah, realize yeah. how much we pay in taxes every year, don't you? You know, we're hoping for Setting Trump. up that LLC, son. <laughs> like, come on, Trump. Like, let's get that tax reform going. Like, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, I mean, again, I think experience and time help you to navigate those 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 uh, those moments. And um, and all of it makes you stronger, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's certainly a lot. Especially, you know, after 20 years and then, boom, it's heaped on you where, where you're just like, shit. All right, great. And now you got to weed through the rest of the shit on top of it. Where and then you got to realize that it's like you know we've been sold this idea of what happiness is, you know, of whether it's success or whether it's family and home. And it's like you're gonna be sad because I, I found myself fucking just so f- miserable at times with with whether it's work or whatever. And and you have to you're like, oh, you got to be happy. You got to be grateful. You got to be happy. You got to be grateful. And I say, like, man, you know, it's just this up and down journey, isn't it? You know of. It's it. It gets heaved onto you, and you think, oh, this is it. This is what I've always wanted. But yeah. you still have your normal issues. You still have your day-to-day life. So it's just really trying to keep it all in balance, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're still going to yell at the DirecTV guy. Like, 100%. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna get pissed when I'm going through the TSA. Oh, line. yeah. <laughs> you know? it's none, just like, none of that really changes. None of that changes. You're like, I'm going to have a real bad day today. Yeah, and and unless like, you're fucking Jay-Z, right? And you're fine, pro, fine uh, pri- private yeah, everywhere. You still, you're pissed. That's that next level. Um, because yeah. whenever people ask, they're like, oh, shit, is that the highest you can get? No. 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 When you start, I, I never forget, I, I did this gig for Ashton Kutcher years ago, and I uh, wrote, wrote this thing for him, and uh, I said, uh, he was, and he was a really cool guy and very smart, and um, always took his own meetings, um, and very polite to everyone. I've heard he's a really good guy. And I asked him, I said, hey, man, like, after we got to know each other, after like an hour or so, I was like, by the way, what's the best part out of all of this at the level you're at? And he goes, uh, truthfully, man, uh, it's just not flying commercial anymore. And I was like, "Wow, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah man, I fuck. I, he was waiting in those lines and trying to fight people and then, you know, uh, all, all this shit. And he goes, Cause you, you become an asshole in TSA and everything else. Yeah. And you're like, man. And then it's Ashton Kutcher, Clayton Crawford. That guy's a fucking dick. He was like, yeah. no, he's not an asshole. He just, yeah. you know. Just like everybody else. Doesn't I'm want his frustrated. dick touched. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Just get yeah. the wand out of my butt. You yeah. know what I mean? So that that's that level of uh, when you when you stop flying commercial, that's when you're like, all right, cool. I'm, yeah. I'm good to go. Yeah. Good. Which Damon's there. That's Damon. Damon, can you see Damon waiting in a line to get on an airplane? No. 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 Uh, Not a chance. <laughs> and th- but that's the sadness, right? Because you talk to people, these celebrities, right? And you, you, you see people's lives and you're like, oh, shit. Your yoga instructor has to come to your house. Yeah. Because you, you, can't, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. Yeah. 
And then you become like this shut-in, and if you don't have a family in place... If you don't, it can become really lonely. Yeah, and I, like I, I will say this because everybody says money doesn't buy happiness. It does actually. If yes. you have great, if you have great friends and great family, money totally buys you happiness. Um, but if yes. you if you don't, that's when you know the dark if side of sadness, it. Kicks in. If you if you're sad being poor, and if you're sad not being able to buy shit you like, then money will buy you happiness, right? If right. you need it to buy you love and companionship, then you're fucked, right? Right, yeah, right. I'm like you. Yeah, money definitely solves a lot of problems, but it also brings a bunch of new ones. Yeah. You know, so it all goes back to just loving what you do, and I think that's that. I think the moral of the story, Ross, is that if you're <laughs> going to be a fucking actor, you better just love it and uh, and not worry about any of the success or the money because it, it, none of it fucking matters. It's true, and it's it's it is, it's almost like any job in this world, whatever it is, you have to love it because um, there's well, like going to be good you times, found this bad times. Yeah. Between yeah. this and writing, like you love it so much, you don't care if you have enough to live in a $60,000 house or if you have enough to live in a $6 million house. Yeah, but, but I mean, let's be honest. I definitely you want the want $6 this. million yeah, yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, well, it's yeah. not bullshit. But, yeah. yeah. But you just love what you do. And when, the, ne- when the next book comes out and hits the bestseller list, like that is going to be my new name, like New York Times bestselling author Ross Patterson. Like it's not going to, I'm not. I'm not going back after that. Like, are I you want gonna that to be like Ocho Cinco, or are you going to just put it in? Okay. I, yeah, I'm putting it in. Okay. Like Chad Johnson. So okay. it's going to be New York Times bestselling author. And it's like, then every conversation I have with people is going to be like, hey, man, you like you understand that I'm a New York Times bestseller. Well, I guess it goes with it, right? Because it's like Emmy nominated so and so, right? Or Oscar award winning. So you're now. New yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, so when you go down in a plane, I think that's the last one on the, on the checklist where it's like when you go down in a plane, uh, with a bunch of people, and it's like, oh man, 186 people died in this plane, and New York Times best-selling best-seller. author. And then you're like, oh right. great, great, I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get a name check. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna get a go. name check, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Um, we're we're at the end of the show where we get to the uh, drinking bro of the week and the revolutionary figure of the day. Is there anybody in your life that you would like to 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 dedicate the show to? Somebody who has made a, a difference in your life that was so great that you're like, man. I could not be here without this one person. Um, could be a wife, could be ch- children, could be an acting teacher. I would have to say, and he football would coach. never in a million years listen to this, nor will he ever hear it. But because it's the truth, my uncle, who was who's 62 now, he was paralyzed at the age of 18 from the middle of his chest down. <clears throat> and, and, and this was in the 60s when he was paralyzed, right? So... Um, he has since that since his injury and he has you know partial use of his arms and obviously in a wheelchair but he he owns a construction company and a real estate company lives alone and he's the oldest living quadriplegic uh in the united states i believe he's really he's lived longer with he might not be the oldest but he's lived longer with his he's lived as a quadriplegic longer than anyone ever has wow what's his name uh, richard aldridge okay and um he's my inspiration man like every day watching this man get up and, and I grew up in Alabama, right? So they had to build all these things because none of this, we didn't have um, home supplies, medical home supplies like they have now where they can come in and deck your house out like a hospital room. So my grandfather was taking pipe and, and chains and like building things to help him get in and out of bed for himself. So I watched this man get up every morning at 5.30, get dressed, wake my ass up because I spent the night with him all the time, wake me up and we go to the job site. He, he taught me how to hunt. He taught me how to fish. Um... And he is my inspiration. And that's why I stuck with what I stuck with. Because I was like, if this man can get up every day and live his life, fuck, I can do anything. Mm-hmm. I can certainly go be an actor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so he, he is my he is my inspiration. And uh, I love him more than anything. 
That's awesome, man. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate you doing the show. Where, where can people find you on social media? Look, uh, I, I guess there's the Twitter and the Instagram yeah. stuff. Cling.Crawford, maybe? On I, on Instagram? On Instagram, yeah. Um, and then I'm sure you can figure it out. I don't know a lot about that stuff. I have a lot of help with it. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, do, I do post stuff on Instagram every now and then because it's uh, my wife put it on my phone. But other than I like that, Instagram. I, I like, Instagram like Instagram a lot. Yeah, and yeah. I like seeing your stuff, right? Your, your, yeah, your it's Morgan crazy. Fridays are just... Uh, oh, Freeman Fridays. Freeman Fridays. Boy, yeah, boy. That puts me in such a good place. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but the, the social media stuff, look, Lethal Weapon, fucking, they, they've got all that stuff out there to uh, make sure they promote the hell out of us and so forth and so on. Awesome. And, and uh, when does when the second season start? We start in, in two weeks, so it's uh, September 26th, uh, Tuesday night, 7 Central. 8 o'clock East. 8 o'clock East. Family hour. But, hey, we're the Cosbys with guns, man. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Clayne Crawford. Woo! Uh, thanks for listening to Ross Patterson Revolution and Drinking Bros. Uh, we love you. Good night, everyone.